Welcome to the Global Energy and Environmental Law Podcast. My name is Mayanna Dellinger. I'm a professor of law with the University of South Dakota Knudsen School of Law. Today, on the 5th of February 2021, I have the great honor and joy of talking to my colleague and great friend Dr. Sean Kammer about the national and international implications of the back and forth developments of the Keystone Pipeline system. Sean, welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit, first of all, Sean, uh, what is this pipeline all about? This pipeline? You're talking about the Keystone Pipeline? Um, both of them, actually. So, yes, there's two of them, and they go by both. So, the Key- Keystone Pipeline system. So, there's two names, right? The, uh, the Keystone Pipeline and also the Dakota Access Pipeline that run across, you know, a great area, right? So, if you could tell the listeners a little bit about what this whole thing is all about. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so the Keystone Project uh, actually includes two pipelines itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's the original Keystone, uh, Keystone 1, if you will, and then mm-hmm. uh, the, the one that's been controversial for the last, what is it now, 13 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is the Keystone XL. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, so I'll start with that one, I guess. Um, yeah, so the Keystone Project is... Uh, was designed to transport uh, tar sands oil from from Alberta uh, mm-hmm. in Canada to uh, to refineries in Texas and on the Gulf Coast, uh, ultimately to transport to global markets, especially in, in East Asia. Um, so, you know, this goes back to 2000, 2005, mm-hmm. I believe, is, is mm-hmm. when the the original project was hmm. proposed, and, and the first part of it, the original Keystone pipeline, uh, which was a 30-inch diameter pipeline, um, ba- you know, basically was was proposed and was approved without really much controversy, um, and it's it's been operational for 10 years now. Right, um, and that 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 takes oil um, only to the Midwest. Basically, there's there's a terminus in Oklahoma and there's a terminus in Illinois. Hmm. Um, so, so the purpose for Trans Canada, who's who's behind all this, is to you know, obviously to get oil to to the refineries in in the Gulf, right, mm-hmm. and off of Mexico, so that it can access global markets. There's more or less a, a glut in oil mm-hmm. in the Midwest. So, um, so that's that's where the Keystone XL comes in, mm-hmm. uh, and Keystone XL is bigger. Uh, hence the name. It's it's a 36 inch pipeline, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was designed to move 830,000 barrels of oil mm-hmm. um, from largely from Alberta, but also with some coming from North Dakota mm-hmm. uh, to the Gulf Coast. Um, so that's that's the Keystone project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline is entirely domestic. It's entirely within the United States, right. uh, and it it takes oil. Uh, shale oil uh, mm-hmm. from from the Bakken mm-hmm. uh, in North Dakota and, and and you know the far eastern Montana, I guess, mm-hmm. um, to across, I guess North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, into Iowa and then into mm-hmm. Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so all of this to get the oil processed and get it to market, but um, not that trucking would be any better. Not that we need this at all. We'll get to that later. But why not just uh, transport it on on trucks or on trains instead of? I mean, I, I suppose it would be cheaper. Was the thinking to just build yeah. this pipeline? Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, the the shale oil is is not the most economical of of oil for uh, for the producers, right. um, and tar sands oil is even less so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're dealing with the least least economical and, and, right. and also the most environmentally damaging mm-hmm. um, hydrocarbons that mm-hmm. there are. Right. right, um, right. so um, but that also affects the profit margins right um, these 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 resources really only make sense to develop where oil is, is bringing in a lot of money right um, yeah. mm-hmm. and so this, but even then the margins are thin yeah so um, and that know, speaks the to are much more yeah the pipelines yeah. are much more economical right. Um, right and you know and and actually as between trains or tracks or other forms of moving it you know pipelines do have environmental advantages um how so well other than they're just stationary is that what you're saying because they they have the advantage that you don't use up you know vehicle you don't produce vehicle produced co2 but isn't there a great risk with having the pipelines in place there have been leaks already haven't there on the yes oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there are risks yeah Mm -hmm. there have been Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's that's one of the things we can talk about in terms of trusting yeah trusting TransCanada and trusting the the fossil fuel industry is, you know, if, if you look at the documents, the environmental studies from from the original Keystone mm-hmm. application, mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then the studies that followed that, you know, that the the amount of oil spills that they predicted, and they that they that they even estimated as as possible. <laughs> yeah, right. So talk so about that a little bit. Yeah, what uh-huh. actually happened? Sure. Right? Uh, you know, within the first year, I think it was a factor of a hundred times the, yeah. the the number and amount of oil spilled uh, versus you know versus what they estimated. And so, can you talk about that a little bit? Why do you think they deliberately underestimated the risk? Or I mean, presumably they're in the business and have the the experts in 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 these methods and whatever. So then there was a, a big discrepancy, as you just said, between the estimated risk and the actual risk. What happened? Do you think? <laughs> that's that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I I think part of it is there's 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 this word right this this word foreseeable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that can mean different things yeah. to yeah. to different people. <laughs> True. And, yeah. You know. Right. So yeah. Um, no, if, I you know, if, if you're in the business and mm-hmm. you're trying to sell a project, you there's a tendency, whether it's intentional or or subconscious, mm-hmm. to maybe view things with with. You know, a little rosier lens, if you will. Yeah, be optimistic. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. and and kind of ignore what might be the worst mm-hmm. case scenario, mm-hmm. and you know, and and maybe that's to some degree human nature. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if there were documents showing some yeah. deliberation or oh yeah yeah <laughs> or or intent there. You know, but. I can't. I can't really speak to that. No, no, I can't either, for obvious reasons too. Uh, but suffice it to show that in other industries, though, if we think big tobacco and even uh, other uh, climate change-related areas, documents have been found after the fact that showed that other companies and other industries were aware of, of bigger risks than what um, what they initially estimated. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's the Exxon litigation. Right, yeah, where exactly. The Exxon documents showed they knew exactly what <laughs> yeah what exactly. the risks were in terms. Yeah. climate change even better than some of the publicly available science, <laughs> yeah science. exactly right and big tobacco yeah. too so um, yeah yeah um so who knows what's going on but that's just interesting to note that legally and factually that that was the case in those industries but yeah who knows here but uh, but you have a good point with this 
Um, why then, I wanted to go back to the marketplaces, if you don't mind. Why? I mean, there's a big interest in continuing this project on sure. the one hand, and then others will talk about also in stopping it. Why the big interest in continuing this project when, for one, we know we have to discontinue using uh, carbon, uh, carbon-fueled uh, energy sources. And second of all, the price of oil is dropping, isn't it still? I haven't followed it recently, but does it even pay financially much anymore? To want to continue this no, project? No, not right now. No, I mean, right. Um, yeah, uh, the price of oil is still closer to zero than it is to to what they need uh, right. for these projects to be economic. Right. Hmm. Um, you why know, then but, not just give up just to play the devil's advocate and seen from a corporate point of view? Why not just say, okay, all this resistance and all this negative publicity, and we're not even making much money on it. You know, we give in. We're just going to stop this. I think part of it is 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 the economics of of these projects is mm-hmm. it it makes it so that they can't respond very well to mm-hmm. short term hmm. economic fluctuations. So that mm-hmm. you know, I think the 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 long term strategic thinking is to to wait it out, mm-hmm. um, and eventually the the price of oil will, will return. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, the investment that they've made in in developing, you know, let's just let's just talk about Alberta, I guess for for now, just you know, developing the tar sands and the infrastructure involved, mm-hmm. um, it's it's very difficult, if not impossible, to shut that down mm-hmm. and then <laughs> and then ramp it back up again. Yeah, right? I mean, it's easy True. to shut it down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. easy technologically to shut it down. Right. Um, but it's it's very difficult to shut it down and then ramp it back up again. Yeah. Um, so you know, the once oil is online, mm-hmm. it pretty much stays online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and if it's losing money at the moment, it's losing money, mm-hmm. but, but these companies would lose more money if they shut it down. I see. Um, and, and just in terms of the, the, not just the technology and, and the, the, the geology and, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and the chemistry and all that, but just, you know, you, you have people, you have whole communities, right. That, that, and, and whole infrastructures that mm-hmm. go beyond, um, go beyond the oil fields that right. are dependent upon this industry, and you, yep. if you shut it down, that's mm-hmm. all gone. You can't yeah. just pick it back up again. So, and that's you interesting. Know, ideally, you know, ideally, you know, from an environmentalist perspective, that is the obvious choice. But, right. Um, right. Yeah, and they're, they're not there yet. Right, which is, to me personally, surprising because we have been forewarned <laughs> for, for decades, or certainly over the past decade, that we need to to discontinue use of. Um, carbon fuels and so they right. have they should have seen and pr- might have seen or at least should have seen the writing on the wall but you're right i guess the short-term profits or medium-term profits were understandably tempting i mean that's what also you know what companies do have to do they do have to make money but um mm-hmm. but that's where maybe better regulations are coming into to place so can you talk about that a little bit what was it biden did recently he issued an executive executive order stopping it right now right so does he have right. the powers to do that do you think mm-hmm. <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. so yeah with, with these pipelines especially the, the the keystone pipelines with the international border crossing and, and border facilities mm-hmm. um there's there's federal involvement in two places mm-hmm. um and and the one that's maybe gotten the most attention is is the presidential permit mm-hmm. uh for the border facilities and then there's also federal involvement uh, through the u.s uh, army corps of engineers mm-hmm. with with water crossings right mm-hmm. under the river mm-hmm. and harbors act which mm-hmm. 
you know, dates to the 1780s, right? Mm-hmm. So, can you talk um, about those two things a little? Yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. And then, yeah, and then there's state involvement mm-hmm. too in mm-hmm. terms of deciding. But um, so with the, with the Keystone, um, with with the, with the presidential permit, um, it's you know, so this this derives from the president's constitutional authority and really super constitutional or mm-hmm. pre-constitutional, you know, plenary powers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over, over international affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the presidential permit process, um, that that's been invoked with this pipeline through three presidents now, mm-hmm. um, dates to 1968. Hmm. Um, and, and Lyndon Johnson established the, the procedure and, um, as well as the, the criteria, which which aren't very <laughs> aren't very detailed, it's basically right. is this in the national interest or not? <laughs> right. Um, and and President Johnson delegated it to the to the State Department to review applications, mm-hmm. and that's that's still very much the process. It's it's been amended somewhat, but mm-hmm. basically the same structures in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what's happened is is you know the Trans Canada's applications. Mm-hmm. You know, go go to the State Department, and you know the Keystone XL. The application was received um, very late in 2008, mm-hmm. and so it was you know primarily, you know the the Obama administration mm-hmm. started with Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. uh, Secretary of State, and then John Kerry, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so mm-hmm. um, but ultimately, it's it's still the president's decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So, presidents it, have delegated authority to the state department to, to make what is really recommendations right. to the president, but it's right. the president's decision. And that's important because, um, it, in, in terms of domestic law, domestic United States law, uh, the president isn't subject to the same procedural constraints and, and to the same extent of judicial review right. uh, as, as agencies that are, um, exercising authority delegated from Congress. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. they're subject to, to other statutory laws, sure. including procedural laws, mm-hmm. um, with which you're familiar, like the Administrative Procedure Act mm-hmm. and uh, the National Environmental Policy Act, mm-hmm. NEPA. Um, right. So, you know, the State Department has complied. Well, they've 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 gone through the processes that are that are required under NEPA, mm-hmm. uh, at least formally speaking. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about whether they've actually done so is, is another yeah, thing. Right. Um, there, there's even a legal question as to whether whether the State Department um, and, and its, its, its review of these applications is, is even really subject to uh, to NEPA. Yeah, um, yes, so, yes. But, but it's, it's, it's well established that the president's decision yeah. is not. So, so Biden just taking the action instead of, you know, he could have said, I want the State Department to undertake additional review. Right. Um, and then to make further recommendations. And, mm-hmm. But and, that was not what was done, right? So what is yeah, the current... Yeah, he just said, no, I'm exercising my presidential authority. And <laughs> yes, to discontinue. <laughs> and, in, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and to um, to revoke. To yep. revoke. Right, right, and, right, exactly. And the initial permit from yeah. Trump. Yes, uh, you know, had had the language, which is which is typical, mm-hmm. uh, that it could be amended or, or revoked. Yes, so, exactly. 
So it, so you're right. I too uh, would agree with that. That he's doing. He, the president, President Biden, is doing what he has the legal powers to do, as popular or unpopular as it might be from uh, from different perspectives. You talked about something interesting, and that is whether or not this entire project is in the national interest or not. Sure. And uh, I think we could maybe both agree that it might actually not be. Lots of people say, yes, it is. And, you know, uh, the Canadian prime minister also recently said by discontinuing this, this would cost uh, a thousand jobs in Canada. But stepping back from from that in the short term uh, processes and pro- and profits and so forth, um, would you agree if I would say that I don't think that this is in the national interest to continue these uh, oil pipelines? That is better for us as a nation to to move forward against climate change and to discontinue as as best as we can and as quickly as we can the use of fossil fuels yes (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean without without really Mm -hmm. any reservation uh Mm -hmm. in terms of um yeah in in terms of short term and long term i mean really Mm -hmm. the benefits of this to 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 americans right Mm -hmm. um is i i just don't even see it i don't yeah I don't either. Um, you know, even even you know, even discounting or or ignoring climate change, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> or 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 some of the risks of more serious oil spills mm-hmm. and and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Just just the project itself, you yes. know, it's yeah. it's not really about you know, it's not about helping. It's it's not really to the benefit of the United States. It's to the benefit of 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 these corporations mm-hmm. and 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 as much as it benefits any nation if you will it's mm-hmm. it's it's canada who's mm-hmm. developed this, this oil <laughs> right, um and it's right. canada that that i guess is, is benefiting in terms of jobs and, and mm-hmm. economic development it's mm-hmm. you know so i've always found it really kind of staggering that especially you know coming from south dakota mm-hmm. there's really no benefit to south dakota right right <laughs> you know and, and no benefit to nebraska and you know it's right. just we're we're assuming a lot of the risk right Right. And as we it's, saw there, already the were yeah, yeah were yeah. Um, oil spilled on or close to Native American lands, right? Yeah, so there's yeah. I mean, and even in just in terms of economic activity along mm-hmm. the along the route, right? You know, right. it's it's yeah. I mean, right. There were there were people in South Dakota. There were a couple property owners who were hoping to be able to, <laughs> you know, lease lease land for trailers for people who were building the pipeline and. Mm-hmm. And whatnot, and you know there'd be a, a spark, I guess, in a- economic activity and other things. Right. You know, some some good and some some bad, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's always crime and other stuff that goes along with that too. Sure. But, mm-hmm. um, but that would be so short lived. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's gone. You know, so it's right. Um, and and you know, economically speaking, it's it's almost non-existent. But you right. still have oil. You know, this this very heavy crude. Right. Um, going through your land right, right. And, and, yeah. and under your waterways and yeah. um over your aquifers and right. you know it's just um yeah so so a no-brainer basically you and i i think would agree but you know realizing yeah. there is of course pushback from mainly from the corporate side and and yeah maybe and a few others term, too but yeah, yeah. long term it's just yeah it's right. definitely a no-brainer i mean yeah um you know in the in the the very the very fact that makes it difficult for trans canada to mm-hmm. <laughs> to to just stop mm-hmm. right and say mm-hmm. well this project is a loss right just just right. based on oil prices not right. based on right any regulatory stuff mm-hmm. sure is also what makes it 
important environmentally mm-hmm. stop the pipeline mm-hmm. uh, right because the pipeline then becomes part of the infrastructure that mm-hmm. has already been built mm-hmm. um and yeah. then it becomes very economical to just continue producing and continue mm-hmm. transporting yeah. and very you know so it makes it less likely for other sources right um of of energy to to overtake it because they've yeah. already spent the money right sure. so mm-hmm. and as much as there's a cost benefit analysis mm-hmm. as between say this oil and and you know solar or wind or mm-hmm. anything else it's the costs associated mm-hmm. with with oil are so front loaded mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it, you know that that they're just getting the benefits from the yeah. oil with, and they've already paid the costs so right. then if you're looking at potential production right. for for wind or solar it's it's not an even right even match so that's right. yeah. you know stopping oil production this is the time you stop it. Right. Right. You don't stop it once it's wells are right, produced, right, once right. pipelines have been built. What um, I thought, right. What I thought, that's true. What I thought was interesting about this and largely once again, not mentioned in the national and international uh, rhetoric and discourse about this was for one, the loss of a thousand jobs uh, to Canadians. I don't know if those are current or future jobs, but it struck me as being, I mean, I, I fear feel for the Canadians who might lose their jobs or they might have hoped to get these jobs. But I thought it was striking that even in this day and age, they don't mention the amount of other jobs that could be created by switching to right. uh, greener types of energy. That seems to always get lost. Um, right. But also from an international point of view, now we have stepped back or uh, joined the Paris Agreement once again, luckily against climate change and Canada um, has also ratified it. They're also a member Um, and under that, we have, as a global community, uh, agreed to limit global warming to well below two and preferably 1.5 mm-hmm. degrees mm-hmm. Celsius compared to pre-industrial le- levels via nationally determined contribution, as they're called, and, uh, NDCs. And so um, so is this not also just, I mean, this is a step in the right direction for both countries, actually, to, at the national level, determine how we can both contribute towards limiting climate change now urgently right by not producing and transporting more oil i mean that's yeah yeah i mean i, I guess i could ask <laughs> ask you that yeah, in terms yeah. of you know what does it look like in terms of of countries like canada actually mm-hmm. meeting their their ndcs um that's a good question i don't have that uh data right now available right now but yeah the paris agreement uh under that like i said we have agreed to um to reach this goal of limiting mm-hmm. climate change but then not enough is being done and um and so again we just learned recently 2019 was the second warmest year on record And the end of the warmest decade ever, and 2016 yeah. and 20 were the hottest years on record. So we need to do something urgently. So the United Nations has said there's actually just over a decade left uh, to stop irreversible damage from climate change. Mm-hmm. And um, and it seems like most nations are stepping ahead further. I'm not I'm not sure where Canada is on meeting its uh, its goals, but at least. Now with a new administration, we finally it seems like are are yeah. stepping up our goals. So um, so Biden, for instance, has promised that we need to have a hundred percent use a hundred percent clean electricity by twenty thirty five, and reach net zero emissions economy wide by twenty fifty. Um, and that is feasible, say uh, professors and other specialists. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's is good that news. enough? 
may, maybe that's not enough. We also need to reduce CO2 from the atmosphere, right? Because right. hundreds of years. So, um, so no, more, I'm sure more always would be better, but, but at least those goals go far. So as I see it, this is a good positive step sure. in the right direction of doing our part as we all have to do to reach our our goals that um, some people question whether are those goals really legally enforceable or not because it's an international treaty and you know the debate I won't go into that too much here but you know but whether or not we have to actually live up to those goals but um, I don't know if you agree but I see that as sort of putting things upside down that that yes, just because something is agreed upon in this day and age internationally and by a treaty that uh, was ratified way back when the UNF back in 1991 or 1992, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, of course, that is legally binding, something we have to live up to just because something is... Uh, was derived from international thinking uh, still doesn't mean that then we could just disregard it because we're exceptional in this country we could just disregard you know all international <laughs> well, don't, don't law. tell americans that yeah. <laughs> right well i will i just did <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah but yes no, I, right yeah. uh, go ahead sean sorry i wonder what I was actually talking about this with my students in, in constitutional law this past mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we're dealing with with presidential powers in, mm-hmm. in the context of foreign affairs and mm-hmm. you know I, I, I will the rest of the world trust the united states no at all no no <laughs> i don't think it's... <laughs> i hate to say this but after the past four or five years not so much if at all is, is there anything i mean biden has taken some some initial first step i mean that's, yeah. that's the thing that he has to do right i mean yeah. it might not be enough it's necessary but not necessarily sufficient right? I, yes and i think he right exactly yeah so we need to see on the ground action though that is true for other nations as well it isn't like we're so far behind and others are just they've already reached their goals the uh, the eu for instance also have Similar goals, so still uh, net zero emissions economy-wide by 2050 is, is their goal as well. But uh, but oh. they're further ahead than we are, so nations are trying. But yeah, you're right. Or, you know, it is unfortunate that with these past four or five years, we lost a lot of a lot of time, but we also lost a lot of faith in whether we uh, really will do it. And, you know, the flip-flopping of administrations, what happens if another president comes in after Biden in a few short years from now? So I think we suffered a, a, a definite blow to our otherwise, you know, yeah. somewhat okay yeah. international reputation. That's going to be hard to repair, I'll be honest. I mean, you. we have to, really what we have to do is get enough economic momentum where Right. becomes possible to reverse in, right. in the same way that that it's become impossible for trans canada and the canadian government to yeah to wean itself off this <laughs> this out right. you know alberta tar sands right because because the investments a lot of the cost has already mm-hmm. been yeah uh, uh been spent yeah. um right. you know I, I think if you demonstrate that like you said you know these these debates they often ignore the other side of it where mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not the environment versus the economy. It's not. Right. It's not climate activists versus right. <laughs> versus capitalism or right. versus the economy or, exactly. or whatever else. It's mm-hmm. it's about transitioning to an economy that works for people. Yeah. You know, and and now as well as decades and, mm-hmm. and centuries into the mm-hmm. future, right? So, mm-hmm. um, if you can demonstrate that, you know, we can take people who maybe are in in fossil fuel dependent industries mm-hmm. and transition them to to mm-hmm. you know so-called green jobs right. um you know and and 
that it works mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and that it's affordable and that, you know, things aren't going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, the economy is not going to be devastated. The economy is mm-hmm. not going to be destroyed. We're not going to become, you know, a communist <laughs> state right. or, or right. whatever, you know, right. all, the, yep. all those things. Yep. All that, yep. um, yeah, because you're right. In... That makes it, yeah. yeah, it makes it more difficult for the, I guess, the scaremongering and, right. and also just makes it so that mm-hmm. corporations are as invested in, in that stuff as yes. As they are now in, in oil. It's ironic too that I have personally always believed, and I still do much in government regulations, just because I don't believe in just letting corporations basically, you know, do whatever they want, or do you know, Sorry. or to have, you know, I don't believe in the ideal of lesser regulations because corporations will do the right thing. But just for once. I must admit, challenging myself, I do see some hope because I think they have seen the writing on the wall. So, but again, not because of any, you know, ethical or environmental concerns, but simply, and that's also good enough then, right? That they're seeing the writing on the wall and that there are profits to be made uh, in other areas and that, you know, whether or not they want uh, <laughs> to make profits off of, off of fossil fuels, the end is in sight. So, um, so some change right. finally from the corporate right. side too. Uh, but yeah. it's just yeah. late, right? It's very late. Right. It's it's going to be too little and too late if, yeah. if you're just relying upon the the economic and yeah. financial right. incentives of corporations because exactly. they, yeah. they're they're not accounting for all the costs. No, no, <laughs> that no. They're, that they're putting out in the no. world, right? No, um, exactly not. So by the time it hits them, especially in, in the in mm-hmm. in regards to climate change, which mm-hmm. is the sort of problem where you know once you hit a certain point, things become to some degree irreversible, right? Right. And, yeah. And the problems even even accelerate, right? Um, you know, and and we're nearing those, right? And yes, we are very much so. <laughs> you know, again, I mean, yeah, just degree, you know, two degrees Celsius is that's that doesn't that doesn't necessarily protect us, right? No, from, it doesn't, and it's maybe not even attainable unless we also succeed in removing a whole bunch of uh, CO two yeah. and other pollutants from the atmosphere, and we don't know. You know, if that's then feasible. So no, a lot of uh, a lot of unknowns in this. And I was also just looking up even just the cost of adaptation. So you know, worst mm-hmm. I don't even know what the worst case scenario is, but we know there's already uh, effects on the environment that we see. At least uh, I'm speaking right now from Los Angeles. So a lot of you know in the southwestern regions, we're already seeing severe droughts and oh, sure. and natural yep. damage. But even co- the cost of adaptation to these new things, uh, the official figures put out by the United Nations just recently were that it would cost the world between 140 to 300 billion dollars just to adapt by 2030 and up to 500 yeah. billion dollars by 2050. So you have a point yeah. when we're talking about, you know, cost and benefits that everything should be taken into account internalized as the world word is, but but that's not currently the case um, as I see it not enough at least. Right. And yeah, I mean the the tendency in this in this country is kind of to view all spending equally mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I guess equally bad. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the tendency isn't to see things as investments. Right. Right. Uh, right. Where, you know, where people are comfortable seeing, you know, private mm-hmm. spending as, right. as investment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but for whatever reason, when it, when it becomes public and when it's the community acting as a right. whole through its, through its representatives and government, it's, right. it's just spending and spending is bad. Right. So yes, Sean. So it'll also be very expensive to uh, just to adapt to uh, to if we don't do even anything at all, which hopefully we, we do. But just to adapt to the severe effects of climate change are also going to be expensive. So, for instance, the United United Nations just recently said that it's going to cost uh, the world up to five hundred billion dollars by twenty fifty just to uh, adapt to the situation. 
But um, shouldn't we see it as a sort of a chance to invest in some newer, you know, profit-making schemes and just some, you know, investments here instead of just always talking about this as a cost? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and you know, unfortunately, in 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 debates in in this country, it's um, the the element of of spending that that recognizes that these are not it's not just spending it's not money being thrown into a hole right <laughs> that's not gonna be seen again these you know these are investments right, right. and and they're investments in in uh, uh in our future right mm-hmm. and and in things that will make life mm-hmm. better and mm-hmm. and in things that will save us from spending money in the mm-hmm. future right mm-hmm. yeah and and so much of this is is there's going to be spending mm-hmm. right Re- regardless and, right. and we we can be proactive and spend money now right uh, with with a vision of of a future that that we want or we can be spending money mm-hmm. um literally and, and and figuratively i guess mm-hmm. putting out fires right mm-hmm. as, as yes literally yeah. um and and you know what is the better features is, is mm-hmm. the question we should be asking right um but you know that's as with a lot of things that's not that's not the debate we have. Right, right. And it should be, but you're right, as the debate seems to me to be, to have become politicized to an extent in this country that just staggers me looking at this from more of an international European mm-hmm. point of view. I mean, these are facts, this is the science and and yeah. the political debate should be centered around, you know, what do we do to reach the goals, you know, but then of course right. climate change was politicized as we saw with mm-hmm. COVID also. But um, Well, I think, I think all of the, all the climate denial and all of the, all the other sort of alternate facts, yeah. <laughs> claims. I mean, to some degree, that's that's an implicit recognition that uh, there there is a broad consensus as to the values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So they, right. So they have to make up an alternate set of facts. Yes. Where where yes. then we're debating facts instead right. of debating values. Right. Uh, because right. if 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 you paint the picture that that science paints. And you ask people, is, is this is this the world you want? <laughs> and you give them the option of of investing in green mm-hmm. technologies and getting to net zero emissions by mm-hmm. whatever year, whether it's mm-hmm. 2050 or, or or what. And it's it's a no brainer, right? Because right? we we don't really disagree that much on right. on right. on on what is a good life, right? Right. If um, people would just come to look at it like that, I just right, personally fear right. that that things have become politicized and so extreme because of the rhetoric and the, you know, fact denial and all the, you know, the media going in two different directions that right. I mean, that yeah, you write course. Yeah. It's beyond uh, it's beyond one of the things from the the uh I think it was the Exxon, right? Mm-hmm. There's um there's multiple pieces of litigation, but I think yeah. it's the Exxon case. Right. Yeah. Um one of the things from the documents uh, was not just the prediction of of the changes in climate, uh, but they predicted that by 2020, mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. would be impossible to to still deny the reality of climate change. Yep, and they were exactly right about that. So that ties back <laughs> well, to right. <laughs> people are still denying it here. <laughs> yeah, well, here too, I <laughs> so think. That's, that's yeah, what I'm saying. they weren't even simple right. enough. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's another you know, I don't story. Think they but predict the the conservative media. And, and Fox News and and all of that, but helping out right and not helping yes. out one agenda as much as I think is recognized. Fair to say yeah. that is recognized that they that they do because the media does seem to be splitting out into supporting um, one party or the other to maybe a too big of an extent. It'd be nice if we could go back to a situation where both left more left leaning and more right leaning media would actually bring some discussions from the other side as well. I think yep. that would be And that can be done by regulation too. Yes, it could. 
you know, the United States, yep. we used to have the, you know, yep, the fairness fair. doctrine is yep. what it was called. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was getting rid of that that right. allowed for the rise yep, of Rush Limbaugh and yep, I agree. Fox News and, yeah, that, yeah. and... That's another whole discussion for yeah. uh, for another episode, perhaps. But I think um, this kind of uh, painted a good picture, so to speak, of the status and a little bit of the law. So I hope that I'm sure the listeners will like this a lot and to to so. hear some something about this. So so yeah, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you too. Thanks for having okay, me. Thanks. You take care. You too. This was an episode of the Global Energy and Environmental Law Podcast. My name is Mayanna Dellinger. Today, on the 5th of February 2021, I talked to Dr. Sean Kammer about the national and international implications of the Keystone Pipeline system. Both Sean and I are law professors with the University of South Dakota Knudsen School of Law. Thanks for listening.